Hey, this is Ken Rakowski, and this is Coin DMZ for the last week of the year, 2017. I'm joined on the phone with Mr. William Quigley, who, of course, is the brains, and I'm just the talking mouth, even though he does talk more, but it's okay. I ask the questions. So, William, 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 first, we have to talk about the big celebration that happened on your side of the world. You run a company called Opskins, right? That's right. Yep. The largest uh, virtual item trading company marketplace in uh, in the world. And you say the largest. How do you measure that? We measure it by just number of transactions that we do every day with our customers. And you also, again, you have the numbers. You are probably one of the largest Bitcoin merchants where you accept Bitcoin more than anyone else out there too, correct? That's right. Yeah. We accept uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, as uh, ways to either deposit or or to uh, cash out after you've sold a virtual item on our site. And one of the big headaches that you have gone through, which probably other sites have, is when you have to cash out on specifically Bitcoin, you have to, in some cases, pay a bounty or a surcharge because you need the money right away and you have to pay the miners more money and you found it to be not affordable, correct? Yeah, I've been talking about this for a while at various uh, crypto uh, blockchain conferences that uh, you know, Bitcoin has been wonderful and it had been wonderful up till uh, early 2017. When the mining fees began to spike for lots of reasons, now they have uh, gotten to a point where Bitcoin as a payment method is not practical anymore for any transactions, probably less than a few hundred dollars. And the majority of our transactions are $10 to let's say $25. At that range, Bitcoin is the most expensive payment option uh, in the world. You, you can't get more expensive. We have had instances where for a $25 transaction, we've paid a $30 mining fee. So this goes back to the idea we had actually at the early days of e-commerce, where it was microtransactions. That's where, why they weren't possible is because you couldn't do That's right. a few cents because of the cost. Yeah, that was something. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, that was something I was not aware of when I, as you know, was a uh, uh, a founding partner of something called Idea Lab Capital Partners. We were in uh, an internet incubator and venture capital fund. And um, we ultimately invested in PayPal as a result of figuring out that the payment options available both to the merchants who wanted to sell stuff on the internet and the customers was terrible. Uh, but there was no way even then uh, to, to fix the high costs of processing a payment. And back then, by the way, it was as high as 10, 12, 14% of the total transaction value in order to uh, make a payment online. Uh, this was in the very early days of what they would call card not present transactions. And of course, that meant the, the retailer didn't see you. Uh, in the old days, that would have been over the phone. And then in the internet, uh, the, uh, the, the rise of fraud or the concern of, the, of fraud caused a lot of, uh, uh, credit card issuing banks to say, well, this is the fee we'll charge you. And it was uh, it was so high that it really didn't even make sense. 
hence the rise of, of PayPal, which used something called the uh, ACH network, which is the network the banks use to process checks and was a lot cheaper, but slower. You know, it could take a couple of days to complete a transaction. But in some ways, what you faced back then is what you're going through right now. Yeah, the, the it's true in a way. Uh, I, what it comes down to for the audience that's aware of how Bitcoin uh, processing works, uh, the miners are the ones who ultimately collect a fee anytime a block is mined. And in, that, in every block are all the transactions, uh, 1,800 or so uh, transactions. Um, well, the miners can pick and choose which transactions they want to process based on the size of the mining fee. So you can pay more fee to get your transaction picked up faster. And it's gotten to a point where mining fees, I mean, I, I didn't look uh, this morning, but I'll go take a look now. I'm going to assume uh, they're still 4 or $5. Wow. Uh, they, they spike, you know, um, that's the, the thing. They will spike based on the load of the network, kind of like uh, surge pricing for Uber, mm -hmm. surge mining fees. So what you've done because of the type of dollars that you were paying off to these miners, you said you couldn't take it anymore and you created your own token. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we created, uh, uh, the Opskins founding team created a token uh, in order to uh, uh, reduce the cost of these fees and to do specific things that Opskins does, which is to allow people to uh, buy or to sell a, an in-game virtual item, uh, to allow that to be done in a decentralized way, which ultimately means uh, a lot more people are gonna be able to buy and sell. Uh, they'll be able to use uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, a number of them, far more than just Bitcoin and Ethereum, also Arcoin Wax to be able to um, essentially use a smart contract and avoid the middleman and uh, deal directly with a, uh, let's say you're the seller, deal directly with the buyer and not have to worry that is the buyer gonna pay me or not after I send them the item. Because the buyer will send an item to a smart contract and the seller will send an item to the smart contract. And only when the smart contract has both does it release the money and the item to the right people. And that we do that job today at Opskins, but it'll scale much faster without humans involved and using smart contracts to complete the transaction. What does WAX stand for? Worldwide Asset Exchange. And this is a token now that can be used across gaming platforms all over the world. Yes, it's uh, it's uh, we're in the process of getting it uh, into a number of payment processors, one of which has been announced, Xola, that's X-S-O-L-L-A. Xola is one of the largest payment processors in the world targeting the video game industry. And Xola is going to be using or allowing people to deposit WAX and uh, buy whatever games they want to buy on several thousand uh, video game sites that uh, Exola partners with. So that's a pretty big deal. So your token went up or out last week. It raced on the market. Uh, were you expecting the type of uh, investments or people accepting the token? It wasn't buying the token. Were you expecting these type of numbers? Uh, no, we weren't. Uh, uh, we were not expecting it. And uh, as it as it happened, uh, you know, there was uh, a rush to get a hold of the token and uh, begin trading it. 
Hey, William, what is the average mining fee right now? Right now? Well, it to give you a sense first, it had been um, at the beginning of the year, it had been, you know, uh, between 50 cents and maybe a dollar. Okay. Uh, and uh, it, you know, went up over time. And then it just exploded around, call it May. Uh, went to $5, $10. Uh, you know, right now I was looking uh, earlier today, it's around $40. $40. Why would anybody want to use Bitcoin at that under a hundred bucks or under, yeah, actually under no. $500. It's ridiculous. Uh, under $5,000. So, uh, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't. This is why right now it really works as a store of value. Meaning, of course, you don't store much value if you buy it, you know, $50 worth and pay $40. But it is, um, and that is the average transaction cost. Of course, the median is different, but but uh, still very, very high to a point where it's an impractical uh, method of paying people for anything under, you know, thousands of dollars at this point. The fee is just higher than what you would pay with any other method, including bank, international bank wires. So the wax token is out there, right? Yes. Yes. We, we released the token on December, uh, December 19th. And, um, how can people get it? Well, uh, right now it's only traded on one exchange. That's called, uh, Wabi pro and that exchange actually initially listed a fake token, a fake wax, a fake wax token. Um, we found out about that uh, a few hours after they had listed it, informed them that, hey guys, um, you've got a fake token out there. They went, they went to a website that looked kind of like yours, not doing enough due diligence and listed that fake token. Yeah, so this goes exactly, and this goes to the point uh, where it's very, very, you have to be very, very careful in the crypto industry, in the crypto space, because you think you are going, let's say during the, when you're looking for ICOs, initial coin offerings, you'll go to a website that will be, have a white paper on it. And we'll talk about a new coin that's being created. And a lot of people go on to fake sites and go and say, wow, this looks great. They actually deposit whatever amount they're going to buy. So they're with their Ethereum and Bitcoin, they will deposit their Ethereum or Bitcoin to a fake, uh, a fake address, a fake blockchain address and lose all of their money. The money's gone. It's automatically in the hands of that fake account. Yeah. That fake, that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, fraudster who put up a, a copycat coin, and convinced people to send in their Bitcoin or their Ethereum uh, to that fake address. That guy's taken it and he's gone. And this was part of the reason, by the way, that uh, China banned um, Bitcoin exchanges earlier in the year. Uh, they were they were trying to deal with the fact that so many people were rushing out to buy Bitcoin so they could participate in these ICOs, and there were a lot of fake ICOs. And uh, uh, now, by the way, there were some of these were very complex schemes where they had uh, uh, profiles of people, uh, you know, pictures that they lifted off LinkedIn, you know, so it looked like these were these were real um, uh, ICOs, but they weren't. 
uh, what's become more common in the last, call it uh, a couple of months, is for the fraudsters to focus on coins that are have that have high profiles, like Wax, the Wax token, and um, then create fake sites. Um, you have to be very, very careful. What I would never have expected, though, would be an exchange would actually fall for this. Because if there's one thing an exchange should do right, there's two things, but one thing they should definitely do right is not sell you counterfeit tokens, right? At, kind of at the very, you don't want to go on the New York Stock Exchange and buy a Microsoft stock and they say, oh, that's a fake stock, sorry. So <laughs> what's the restitution? Well, I mean, this is a, a, a an evolving area. Uh, I believe the exchange that decided to uh, list the wax token and then listed a fake wax token, I believe they have uh, announced they're going to compensate anybody who bought the token and uh, got the wrong one. Uh, you know, and, and we, you know, we did do what we could when we knew that they had listed a, a, a counterfeit token. We reached out to them and said, "Hey guys, you know, you you've got the wrong uh, smart contract address. Uh, you're referencing a smart contract where none of the details are are the same as ours, right? I mean, they had the wrong token amount, and uh, we 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 said, you guys." You know, you guys need to do some diligence here before you list stuff. Yeah, but it's not up to you what exchanges pick it up, right? An exchange, oh, no. it's open. It's open. Anyone can t pick it up, right? Yeah, it's when we say permissionless in the blockchain world, we really mean permissionless, meaning, you know, anyone can go online and you can go to the Ethereum uh, address, the Ethereum blockchain, and look up different ICOs, any ICO that did a... Uh, an Ethereum-based smart contract using the ERC-20 token, which is what WAX did, you can see all of those tokens at that particular address. Uh, but, you know, somebody could set up a fake one up there, call it uh, the same name or the different name, and um, you could be pointing to the wrong contract. Though there's a number of, of procedures that an exchange could go through to uh, greatly reduce this from ever happening. Um, to me, it's just a, uh, it, it's real negligence on the part of an exchange if it, if it does do something like this. Uh, you know, you shouldn't just have your engineer go grab what he thinks is the right token. You should verify it with the issuer. And that, that was something that really frustrated me is this exchange never wound up contacting us beforehand and saying, do we have the right smart contract? William Quigley is joining us. He's, he's over at Opskins. I'm Ken Rakowski. This is our end of the year podcast. We'll be doing this at least once a week to give you an update what's going on in the crypto space. This is Coin DMZ. So let's step away from the drama that you're going through because it sounds like it's evolving. We'll know better what's going to happen next week. But if people want to find out more about Wax, where should they go? They can go to wax.io wax.io that's where they're going to go so let's talk about some of the issues that are going on in the world right now around crypto i have been reading that south korea is putting some big roadblocks up when it comes to crypto what's going on there well korea like like china has experienced um a lot of uh, uh we'll call it scammer behavior uh it, it i don't know if it was as bad as china but uh uh, cryptocurrencies are very popular 
in um, in Korea. And as you may know, cryptos uh, are, are you know uh, just like tradable digital in-game assets, which the Koreans pretty much are the are the most fanatic uh, about. You know, they love to trade, buy and sell digital items with, that games produce. I think it was a natural that they would get excited about cryptos as well. So uh, the issue has been that the government is worried that a lot of people without a lot of, uh, of education are jumping into the cryptocurrency uh, bandwagon. And uh, they're not as discerning. And anytime you see lots of people frantic to buy something and uh, uh, a, an environment where you're buying sort of a technical product, a product that's easy to misunderstand, then there's a, a place that scammers come in and try to uh, uh, to fool you and take your money. And I I don't think it's happened in a, on a mass scale in, in Korea, but I think the Korean government is worried that it might. So they're trying to do different things. One, the, the Korean exchanges themselves have a consortium and they've said, hey, we're not gonna list new coins or list very few new coins until we have standards for how we list them. Uh, by the way, going back to the earlier conversation we were having uh, about the wax token and uh, an exchange listing, a counterfeit one, uh, the uh, Korean the Korean uh, exchanges doing uh, that probably is a smart thing. Then you have- uh, Because they're trying to protect the population, that's why. Yeah, yeah, then you, then you have them uh, uh, I think they're going to be looking at it from a tax policy standpoint, and because there's probably very little guidance on uh, how these things are taxed. So uh, the Korean government has said they're going to be uh, issuing some uh, pronouncements about about uh, how these coins should be taxed, if they should be taxed as securities or property or whatever. Uh, but everything they're doing is designed to basically uh, get a get a government hand in in uh, sort of uh, informing the public that the uh, they need to proceed with caution in this area because it's it's an area where you can easily lose your money if you are, are uninformed. But it sounds like what South Korea is trying to do is probably a good model for other countries or governments to do, and that is to create some guidelines, don't you think? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I mean, I think the U.S. has been kind of a leader in this area with uh, uh, the state of New York issuing um, what I guess we used to call Bitcoin licenses, but but uh, cryptocurrency exchange licenses. And there's several cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, Gemini is one, Coinbase is another. I think ItBit, but I'm not sure, which have been licensed by the state of New York and meet certain standards. And, and there's a bunch of obvious things, right? You want to make sure that you you have uh, better than average security if you're holding other people's coins. Uh, there needs to be some sort of consumer protection uh, like you have in any e-commerce area. So I don't think these things are terribly uh, problematic. Uh, uh, the issue, anytime you have a regulator stepping in to do something, if they do it quickly, is they could uh, suffocate what is a little emerging business by smothering it with regulations that aren't appropriate for the particular new thing. Uh, might have been appropriate for, let's say, a stock exchange, but a cryptocurrency exchange is different. So 
the regulators, I would uh, like for them to be more cautious about how they regulate and what the end game is that, that they're uh, trying to accomplish. So we'll watch what happens in South Korea. It's obviously an interesting situation, but it's not just with currency. We're talking about the ICOs because those are the investment platforms that people are excited about. Yeah, yeah, that, that is true. So it's the ICOs that are more or less getting highly regulated, not the actual crypto themselves. When right, you say yeah, that's a good point. So, I, so we'll, we'll, but, but this does affect then somebody that wants to do an ICO. How do you decide, you know, for example, I notice a lot of people do the British Virgin Islands or they do Malta. Or they do a, a country that's kind of sitting on the, on the fringe out there saying that's where we're going to launch our ICO. Is it because regulation is so lenient there? Why are they doing it? Well, there's a number of reasons. I mean, first, you have to understand this is a worldwide phenomenon, right? So people from all over the world buy and sell, use cryptocurrencies for making purchases for as a store of value. So it would be very odd if all of the initial coin offerings happened in the United States because it's a global market. Uh, uh, you also have the fact that there are certain places where it's much easier to um, set up a company. And the US used to be the world leader in this, right? It used to be so easy to set up a corporation and begin doing work. It was a hallmark. Uh, there's different indexes that um, uh, places like uh, the Heritage Foundation and other think tanks uh, produce around uh, economic freedom, one of which is the ability for a normal person to set up a company and, and begin doing whatever it is they want to do. And the U.S. has become increasingly difficult to do that. It's expensive. The rules are hard to follow such that you need uh, lawyers, you need a lot of accountants, and not everybody has access to those. So there are places where it's easier, and those places you see uh, more uh, issuing companies get established before they issue their token. Uh, there are some places, Zug Switzerland for one, where uh, the 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 uh, the country has said, uh, uh, "Hey, we're going to uh, embrace or, or at least be open-minded about uh, cryptocurrency issuers establishing jurisdiction with us." Uh, so you know, the U.S. is not. I wouldn't say it's. Uh, it's uh, the worst place uh, for a company to issue a, a token, nor is it the best. Uh, and over time, we'll see if it if it gets easier and the rules become clearer. Um, that's that's uh, uh, an ongoing problem that we've seen. Hey, William, I, I'm I'm just looking at I, I like uh, cryptocurrency market capitalization. You know, uh, CoinMarketCap.com. I like that website. Mm -hmm. I'm not yeah. sure what you use. So on the very top, they have a little selector, a little uh, area where you could select coins or tokens. And I'm going to ask a very basic question, and I know you'll be able to answer it. So you got coins. Obviously, the one with the largest market cap is Bitcoin with $241 billion. And then when you click on token, uh, EOS, which is somebody we know who put that together, that's a $5.3 billion token. What's the difference between a token and a coin? Well, uh Mainly, when you think of token, you should be thinking of Ethereum. Uh, that's the main thing you should be thinking of. These are tokens that the Ethereum that were based off the Ethereum blockchain. They're smart contracts, um, 
And uh, coins we tend to think of as uh, um, uh, forks of the Bitcoin blockchain. Understand. Not really, but I understand. You're saying that the coin is a, uh, it's, it's basically almost, I'm going to sound like an idiot right now. It's like a mutual fund. It's like a mutual fund for that company. Um, no. Uh, no. Uh, so, you know Ethereum, right? Of course. So, That's a coin. Right. Ethereum's a smart contract. It's actually, Ethereum's not really a coin, okay? Ethereum is a, uh, it's a mini computer, right? It's got a mini computer that is, uh, you can program. So that's why we don't call Ethereum a coin. Uh, and of course we can invent whatever word we want to, but Ethereum is programmable, right? You can actually input instructions and in in because it's a smart contract and say, do the following actions, um, maybe release this, uh, virtual item. If, uh, the somebody sends to that smart contract a certain amount of, of Ethereum to pay for it. Whereas the coins don't have uh, an intelligent layer. Now, uh, this is 20, late 2017, so things are changing. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Bitcoin will probably have an intelligent layer at some point. Would it be called Bitcoin or would it turn into something like, explain the difference, again, I hate to do 101, between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash? So the main difference, so first, they are uh, brother and sister, think of them that way. So mm -hmm. Bitcoin was the original blockchain-based token. <clears throat> and you can, if you and I wanted to make a copy of the Bitcoin software, we can, we call that a fork, uh, and we can use it and we can rename it the, the Ken and William coin. I like that. And now, that is a coin that's blockchain-based. Now we have to get somebody to operate it, to mine it, uh, we have to get somebody to uh, manage the nodes so that there are copies of it all over so we have redundancy. But we can take the software. It's open source, right? So that's Bitcoin. And it's a mined coin. Um, whereas uh, you know, Ethereum is, uh, uh, has this smart contract uh, in it, which allows anybody who knows how to program uh, on Ethereum to go and and uh, write a set of rules for that smart contract. There are, I think a Bitcoin is sort of a dumb pipe, right? You always say it's a dumb coin. That's what you always say. Yeah, it's a dumb coin. Uh, and in the same way that the old, uh, you know, plain old telephone service, the POTS lines were dumb lines, right? There was no real intelligence in those phone lines. And, and then you got voice over IP and suddenly you could do all kinds of cool stuff. You could route the traffic automatically to the least congested part of the network. So uh, think of like, uh, you know, Bitcoin is the old phone system and Ethereum is like the internet, if you want to think of it that way. I love this. Okay, so William, we've got a few more minutes left. Uh, got an email from one of our listeners who said, the last show they liked a lot because we talked about government regulation, what was going on in India and Indonesia. They like those big, broad s situations on where politics are going. We mentioned South Korea. And I'm wondering for 2018, I know predictions are always one of those things we want to stay away from, but do you feel like certain governments are going to be more open arms, welcoming of cryptocurrency, or do you feel like governments of 2018 are going to be more pushback? Let's, let's kind of watch it from afar. What's your thought? 
So, uh, well, without any context, I would say governments tend to want to regulate things that their consumers interact with. So uh, at, a broad, at a broad level, that would mean that uh, uh, it could be, there could be more intrusion and more problems with, with companies wanting to use Bitcoin blockchain or wanting to use any other cryptocurrency. Uh, what I'm hoping is that there's a lot of governments that see the value of blockchain-based technology and think, all right, if we don't provide a place for these companies to uh, emerge and grow and not be suffocated with undue regulation, then we're going to fall behind. Mm. This is why I believe even with China, which has come down hard multiple times on um, uh, cryptocurrency buying and selling, that they understand that there is a lot of value to using the blockchain in a lot of different businesses. And so they've got to play this balancing act where they want to try to manage the, uh, the speculative uh, enthusiasm for buying and selling cryptos, while at the same time encouraging companies to adopt blockchain. And uh, uh, Japan, this this year in, in uh, early 2017, seemed to go out further than any other country that I've heard of in saying, we're going to embrace this. We'd like our banks to get uh, involved in blockchain-based technologies. And we'd like our retailers to uh, consider accepting cryptocurrencies as a payment method. So they're sort of the leader. And they've... Uh, had a number of new exchanges get uh, 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 launched in Japan. Uh, they have a very light touch right now. But I think no matter what, if you see too much uh, frenzy around the buying and the selling in any particular country, that's been Korea for the last, call it six months, the government naturally gets worried. They get worried that if, if the prices suddenly fall, people will look to them and say, why didn't you protect us? Yeah, good point. Good point. Okay, last question before we get out of here. Your favorite wallet, what do you like using? I've grown uh, very fond of, uh, I think it's Binance, Binance, whatever you want to call it. Which one do you like? Well, I, I look at, I use a lot of them. I know, that's uh, what I'm asking. What do you like? My, my Ether wallet probably is the one that me and my team use a lot. Jax is another one you've probably heard of. Uh, back in the old day, there was a wallet off of uh, blockchain.org, uh, which I thought worked just fine. Um, uh, uh, if there's, there's going to be a lot of newer wallets coming out, because one thing that you and I can't stress enough on these conversations is that uh, cryptocurrencies today are not user-friendly. Uh, all of the genius of Apple products and uh, some other companies out there in the tech area that make technology very easy to interact with, that still isn't quite there yet with crypto. And, uh, and that's something that uh, uh, the thing that most people are going to be using as they interact with cryptos is their wallet. And uh, uh, I think that has to be improved. We're still not at a point where I think I can say, oh, they found the gold standard for how to use, you know, how to how to create a wallet that everybody gets and uh, is convenient to open and transact in. We're going to leave today's show with the current market 
uh, prices for Bitcoin, 14,300, Ethereum, 725, and Ripple at $1.44. Now, of course, you want to find us wherever at CoinDMZ. We're going to be back next week. We're here for you all the time. Download us on your favorite podcasting tool. I want to thank William Quickly for joining us once a week and uh, maybe even twice a week. We'll see what we're going to figure out. And thanks a lot for being part of CoinDMZ. Goodbye.